Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is a writer from Trinidad and Tobago and the United States. His writing has appeared in Bomb Magazine and Sweeney's Quarterly Concern. A graduate of Harvard University and the Iowa Writers Workshop, where he was the recipient of the Richard Yates Short Story Prize, the Maytag Fellowship, and the Teaching Writing Fellowship. He currently lives in New York City. His debut novel, Pay As You Go, is out now. Please welcome Esker David Johnson. Hey, how you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. I loved Pay As You Go, um, your debut novel, and I can't wait for readers to discover it. Uh, tell everyone a little bit about what the book is from your perspective. Uh, yeah, uh, um, thank you for your okay. kind words. So sure. Pay As You Go, um, it's set in a fictional city. That tends to be the first thing I mentioned, so people mm -hmm. aren't um, confused. Um, and it follows um, a young man who I sometimes call a boy, so it depends on your perspective. But it follows a young man on a quest-like adventure to find the perfect apartment in which to live um, and following the arc of a hero's journey wherein you have um, our protagonist kind of starts off in, um, in, a, in a place of being unsettled and is cast out into a wide, uh, tumbling, adventurous world. Uh, encountering various enemies, allies, and obstacles in quest of some sacred object, in this case, an apartment. Definitely. Uh, I can't wait to hear you read from it. What part of the book will you be reading from today? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to read um, just um, a bit from the opening, not the exact first pages, but very early on into the book. Um, so not much context is needed um, other than um, as mentioned, kind of um, Slide does start off, Slide is the main character, mm -hmm. and he does start off in an apartment in which he's rather uh, dissatisfied, um, both by the nature of the apartment itself and um, by um, his roommate's situation. So this particular um, moment here is um, Slide uh, sharing us his thoughts on one of his roommates uh, that is contributing to his less than happy circumstances. Terrific. We'll take it away and I'll be back to ask some questions. Awesome. Thank you. Huh? Eustace's name was the one on the lease. So Eustace got to make rules about lamps being on and to have the big bedroom at the start of the hall. Mine was in the middle. He was an unlikely tyrant. Every evening he burst through, every evening he burst through the door as if escaping an ambush and headed straight to the bathroom where he groaned in delight while showering. The trail of his multicolored uniform lay in a line. I think he worked at a toy store assembling robots. He never got fully dressed after. He'd come back out into the living room wearing a pair of white briefs and blend himself a glass of milk, raw eggs, and cinnamon, part of some liquid diet he was on. He was a fat man who had lost weight with flaps of loose skin, transparent hair, and wet, unblinking eyes. I never seen anyone so pale. He seemed some kind of a deep fish from those parts of the water the sun cannot reach. After finishing his milk in the kitchenette, he'd inspect all the lamps, then come stand behind the chair I was on and try the same shit. Eustace, he was always trying the same shit. He'd say, I think there might be a game on, which was a trick to make me get up and change the channel so he could take my seat in the chair. I'd fallen for that once. He never even said what kind of a game it was. Now all I did was tell him I wasn't interested. 
I had to double down on whatever I was watching, even if it was shit. And he would start fidgeting in all manner of ways. He'd clear his throat. He'd take two steps here, two steps there. He went down the hall to ask how you met if he wanted to watch the game. He swapped in a new bulb on a lamp. That made him hold his breath for a few seconds. His allergies kicked in and he sneezed, sneezed, sneezed. He donned the mask and gloves and sprayed bleach in the air. He decided right now was a good time to vacuum on the loudest setting. Jeez already. Fine. I got up. He'd settle between the arms with a satisfied squish. Once when he, once when he took the seat, he retrieved a pair of batteries from beneath the cushion and popped them into remotes to change the channel to what he liked, documentaries about aliens. Storming off to my room, it didn't help. I'd hate the place all the same. The green, the green of the carpet was faded and dingy. The cheap furnishings gave the impression of termites. For all my time there, I never once slept properly on that skinny bed. And every morning, my door was a little bit open, even though I closed it for sure. You know, Slide, used to said one time in that needling voice of a TV commercial, I've been putting some thought into why you don't sleep well. Who says I don't sleep well, I said. I was pouring cereal for dinner. We were quite close in the kitchenette and the lights lit up the veins in his arms. I see that you sleep on your back and have a hard time turning. You see? Perhaps a simple remedy of spinal alignment might help. It's a problem with evolution, really. Fascinating stuff. If you'd like, you been opening my door at night, Eustace? You come in and breathe over me on some sick shit? Right away, he lifted his shake to his lips and finished the rest of it in three glug, glug, glugs. No. I'm serious, Eustace, I said. My room is my room and that's it. Something in here has to be sacred. Well, of course, slide, he said, running water over his glass, then added, but it is very dark in there. So that night I moved the dresser close. So that night I moved the dresser to block the door while I slept. And that next week, Eustace began inviting friends over from work for a tour of the apartment, stopping at my bedroom for a particularly long time to list the dimensions as if it was up for lease. Hey, Eustace, why are you always showing them my bedroom like it's up for lease? I said. He laughed that off. Eustace, he was always trying to laugh things off. In his own room, the door was forever open and the lights on even while he slept. His bedding was all white a multitude of lotions arranged on the nightstand, and he had a stack of spare light bulbs in a neat pile in the corner. The whole place had a glow of unreality. Just knowing it was so bright in there made it hard for me to sleep. You'll have to excuse where the floorboards are... you have to excuse where the floorboards are a little bendy here, he'd be saying to whoever it was. It's where I do my jumping jacks on mornings. Which was another thing. He wouldn't shut up about all the weight he'd lost. He thought he was being real slick about it too, bringing it up by the way. He'd ask, did anyone notice the fourth floor stairs were a little steeper than the rest? That's why so many people have tripped on them. Oh, goodness. Which used to happen to him, too, before he lost all the weight. Or, oh, what's that in this jar I've been shaking for the past 15 minutes? Funny you should ask. These are all the replacement buttons I used to keep around for when one would pop off my shirt before I lost all the weight. Here, you can have a few. I don't need them anymore. Also, was anyone else thinking of running the half marathon in a couple months? The thought had just occurred is all. That one I would have liked to see. I was walking by once when I saw him tugging at the sides of his belly in the bathroom. He twisted and twirled before the mirror, then pretended he'd just seen me. Oh my, slide, I didn't see you. Since you are there, help me with this one thing. People are saying I should get a tummy tuck now that I've lost all the weight. Well, I'm hardly taking them seriously. I think I'm just fine. In any case, I'm trying to see what they mean. He reached around to his lower back and grabbed, <laughs> he reached around to his lower back and grabbed handfuls of skin pulling it tight. Here, would you mind? He said, offering me the folds. He was already looking in the mirror to see the results. Me, I'd just eaten. 
That's quite all right, Eustace, I said. I'm sure your finances. Our eyes met through our reflections. He unclenched and let the skin drop. Right, that's okay. I'm not taking it seriously, of course, he said, and clicked on the electric razor he used to shave. He hummed an oblivious tune while he worked and put on a face like he hadn't to care in the entire world. But when I went to use my toothbrush that night, I found that all my toothpaste had been used up. Thank you so much for reading. Uh, I want to start by asking about um, just your upbringing in Trinidad and Tobago and like storytelling and and literature and how it, it came through your family and, and your upbringing. Yeah. Um, great. Yeah. Thanks for, for asking that. That would have been the topic I would have brought up first myself if I'd been given the option. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's um my most essential ingredient if you will um obviously first and foremost in terms of my family and i couldn't have been you know blessed with a um more kind loving and supportive one um wherein uh reading and um the importance of literature and the arts um as a means of shaping yourself and um shaping the world around you was always um very highly championed um, my dad um, was a history professor. In fact, I think once you are a, a professor, you're always a professor. So I should say he is a professor, mm -hmm. though he doesn't teach in the classroom anymore. Um, and uh, my mom, even from a young age, my mom always tells these stories of her own mom having to tell her to go outside and play because she would be the uh, girl inside kind of reading uh, in her own, own, own free time. Um, so just in terms of inside the household, just lots of reading, storytelling, um, bedroom stories at night, um, all, you know, the whole nine yards as far as that's mm -hmm. concerned. Um, but then being in Trinidad, I think Trinidad at large, it's, um, it's that's really kind of like, you know, where so many of, I think your skills get put to the test in that, um, whenever you're, you're socializing in Trinidad from a young age, it's all about like, uh, telling good stories, making people laugh, um, being entertaining and moving and um, holding a crowd's attention. And um, that's something that we start even doing from school days and continues the rest of your life. And you very quickly learn in Trinidad um, not to waste an audience's time. Uh, and they'll be very blunt in telling you if like your story is boring or it's not funny. And Americans are very kind in that if you tell a uh, long drawn out boring story everyone kind of smiles and nods and at the end they say uh that's so interesting <laughs> which is uh <laughs> i think that's the american phrase of uh of the version of which in trinidad would be like a you get interrupted way way earlier and then b someone would be like yo you're wasting all time come on man. like no yeah. one had time for you to drag down the pace of the story like you know what i mean so yeah um so you just learn from very early what's interesting and what's entertaining and what's worthy of um, calling someone's attention because people have any number of things they could be doing other than listening to you. So yeah. if you do kind of take that step to encourage them to listen, or in this case, encourage them to read, um, it better be for something good. Yeah. How did that shape? I mean, I'm going to flash forward many years now. How did that shape your writing the idea of like pace and editing and, and keeping things short and funny? Yeah. And I should say, um, I think for sure, humor as a tool, I think is um, very important to me. Um, not that everything needs to be, you know, you know slapstick. You're, you're, it's not mm -hmm. 
a comedic novel this yeah. one or my my writing there are funny moments but i would like to think it could run the full gamut um but yeah like once more if um if you want people to come along with you on a more deeper or a more moving journey or something that you hope is going to be more impactful an easy way to to show them that your that this story is one worth investing into is of having that element of humor is of giving them that sense of initial enjoyment so that they're willing to come along with you on a a path that isn't guaranteed to be entirely enjoyable along the way or at least not enjoyable in the sense of everyone feels good um there is going to be sadness there is going to be um moments of you know desperation or despair um and that is true in terms of when in conversation or when on the page um i think i only I think I only partially answered your question. No, I, that that <laughs> that definitely answers it. And I'm I'm very curious. Uh, you mentioned like the hero's journey, and and I was thinking as I read the book, it's like this long odyssey, and it's grand and 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 you're right, it's very humorous, but it, it's very like heartwarming. It runs the gamut of emotions. But why take something as small of finding an apartment and making it? Like what you made it and turned it into yeah um oh i i always have too many answers to that question so <laughs> i don't want to um ramble i mean as the as the novel might have told you i can be prone to ranting every now <laughs> and then um so i'm trying to curtail that instinct um i think the notion of kind of counterpoint is one that uh, has very, been very important to me in my writing. Um, I did want to tell a story that I think um, is able to be somewhat larger than life. Um, mm -hmm. And that allows for kind of um, more penetrating or sweeping reflections on, you know, what it means to be alive and what it means to be alive in this modern um, world. And, um, you know, maybe if I were writing um, 400 years ago, I'd start off by appealing to the ancestors and um, whichever um, muses and spirits and so on that were kind of seen as the dominating forces of the world at that point in time. Um, but for our world, for better or for worse, I think the dominating force, or one of the dominating forces is the sense of um material accumulation it mm -hmm. is the sense of um being able to capture certain aspects of the capitalist dream and i'll expand that from just saying the american dream because it's penetrated all realms of the world um and for me none felt more quintessentially that than having that place to live mm -hmm. um and you know for anyone who's ever moved to a, a big city in my, in my case new york um, finding somewhere to live and scrambling about that takes up a lot of our like thoughts and effort and energy, no matter which apartment you're in, you're kind of aware of what other nicer apartments there are. Mm -hmm. When you first move here, you're, you're really trying to like, you know, you're hopping about trying to figure out exactly where to fit in. And it, it becomes this totem of, um, as I said, this kind of commercial, this, this material desire. And um, for me, it just became such an 
easy vehicle in which to then pack in so many other types of wants, types of needs that expand beyond just the object itself, but into kind of um, the way that we try to make our lives more livable or um, worthy of um, something to feel proud of. Yeah, and and you're publishing on McSweeney's, which is known for like its humor, but it also obviously publishes a lot of like thought provoking things. Um, and I'm just curious, and I'm not really asking about your publisher, but just more about like your sense of writing and and what you try to do with your writing outside of pay as you go. I mean, you mentioned there is humor injected to it, but it's not necessarily comedy. But like. Where do you want to take your writing as as your career continues to blossom? Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, yeah, it, it's going to follow following through on some of the thing, themes I would have touched on just now. I think, um, um, and even hearkening back to my family and my upbringing, I think I grew up in a, a world, I grew up with an understanding of... Um, of art in general and writing in particular being so much more um, powerful of a cultural um, shaping force. Mm. Um, and I think for so much of the writing and the writers that I enjoy um, really did come into prominence at a time where I think literature was much more at the center of the cultural conversation and was mm. um, very actively shaping the way that uh, society saw itself or that individuals saw themselves in the context of the society. Um, and maybe kind of like, you know, maybe the, the 80s and 90s were probably the tail end, the trail off of that period. I do think we now live in a world where that is um, much less true and uh, much more of art is kind of seen as a um, commercial transaction. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, or like a products and we know we yeah. live in the world of content per se not that podcast aren't great thank you for having no me. i um, <laughs> i i'll but, interrupt briefly but i agree with that i talk a lot about like writing is the art and publishing is the capitalism capitalism transaction you know yes, so anyway, yes. But go ahead. yeah yeah no of course sorry so to bring it back full circle in terms of where i would like to take my writing and you know i i could be hopelessly romantically stubborn in this but um, I'm just very concerned with, you know, writing as a means of um, actively combating some of the more nefarious aspects that uh, do exist in our culture, that do exist in, in our society, and um, providing that means of um, genuine reflection, um, of solace, um, of an oasis in the noise, and one in which you're able to kind of refortify your soul for the mm -hmm. um, ongoing challenges that do exist um, in living in um, our modern world. Um, it's what reading and writing, um, it's what reading has been able to do for me. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I would have, you know, spiritually survived in this world without um, certain authors being able to yeah. um, provide me that solace along the way. And in some sense, I'm just hoping to pay it forward or um, so to speak. Yeah. Um, uh, in so that you know should there be that next person who does need that reprieve um from the mania or who does need to know that um that there are other things to value in this world other than um 
you know, those material indicators uh, to know that that is not an absurd thought. And for a very long period in time, that was actually the dominant thoughts or the dominant mode of thought. And it feels less so now than I think it has before. So mm-hmm. um, I'm holding on to a, a tradition that I think needs to be fought for. Yeah. And I'll, I'll end with this and I'm sure it's a long list, but if you can give it the tops, but like, who were those authors that were your spiritual guides growing up and then becoming a writer? And then like, what are you reading now? So yeah, I have two yeah. questions then and yeah, now. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. No, awesome. I could, uh, I could really, I'll, I'll run the gamut from like from recent to all the way back in the day. Um, um, or any any of my friends who are listening to this right now, they they know whom I'm who I'm about to mention because um, I talk about him all the time. Um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez uh, for me is just um, you know he's really the person who, as I say, in, in, even in the acknowledgments to the novel, who I would say mm-hmm. opened my eyes um, and you know really kind of provided that means of literature as a world builder, a a, a, a combater of the world in which we are in, in the efforts to make one that is more beautiful, more humane, and, um, you know, just in so many ways, Mm -hmm. so worthy of revisiting and learning from and imbuing yourself within. Um, Yeah, so... um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, um, Salman Rushdie. Um, most recently, I actually finished reading the all of the Elena Ferrante novels, mm-hmm. um, which I think are just like spectacular. Um, and just in, even in terms of the quality of the writing itself, which I think is just of the highest echelon. Um, but then even that protagonist, I think, uh, if you kind of follow her journey through all four of those novels, goes through a similar kind of uh, journey of experience and a journey of growth through literature similar to what uh, I think I've been touching on someone who was really able to find themselves and find their political and emotional spiritual identity mm-hmm. um, through literature and reading and all that it has to offer in a much more politically serious time I think uh, as as existed at least for that protagonist um more recently um Rachel Cusk, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Martinican author named Patrick Chamoiseau who um who read who sorry who who wrote um Texaco, uh, really a kind of ma- a magnum opus of the Caribbean. Um he as I said, he himself is from Martinique. Anyone who reads that novel and then kind of uh, reads mine, I'm kind of I'm letting the secret out now that there are there's so much of the DNA of Pay As You Go does come from that. Mm-hmm. Um Italo Calvino, and let me just—I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll fire through. You can feel free to edit this. No, no, no. List, list as many as you want. This is my favorite yeah. part of the podcast. Oh, okay, great. Okay, um, um, there's um, JD Salinger, The Catch in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an easy one for everyone to point to, simply because we kind of have to encounter it in high school. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it really is like a brilliant novel one that sounds did not even intend for teenage audiences it's kind of ironic how it's like turned out but it really is a novel for adults mm-hmm. and when you go back to it as an adult i think there's only so much more that you can really gain um speedboat by renata adler have you mm-hmm. heard of this book no no i'm looking it up yeah, right now you've got to read it it's it's just 
Um, it's it's it was written in that time and it's set in that time, the 1970s, the 1970s in New York in particular. I always say I missed my era, 1970s mm-hmm. New York. If I were around then, ah, would have been a beautiful time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just this great novel. It's it's like written like the the unit of measure is like the paragraph as opposed to the chapter. So most of the happenings are just these like paragraph long um happening spaced out by line breaks mm-hmm. and there's no real like continuous mode of like cause and effect or um or causal plot she kind of like hops around with this very kind of like um this ironic but kind of streetwise sensibility you vaguely get a sense of her like main character but the prose is so sharp and it's just able to kind of like capture that disjointed aspect of um what was then at the time modern life in a metropolis um, in a way that I think like I was, I was going to say a few other novels have, but to me, no other novels have. Mm. Um, yeah. And then of course you have Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man, um, Jorge Luis Borges, um, you know, uh, I'm leaving out a lot because I'm thinking particularly of the ones that were influential in the writing of this book. But, you know, if we really want to go, just across the board, Chinwar Chebe, Enid Blyton, going all the way back to like childhood, you know, just in terms of showing you stories to be fun and enjoyable and just wanting to read more and more. Um, I mean, you know, you you should really stop me at some point because I will just keep going. Um, the Orphan Master's Son by Adam Johnson just kind of really shows you, um, you know, the value of epic trust. Thank you so much to Esker David Johnson for joining the Day Beautiful's first taste reading series to read from his debut novel, Pay As You Go. It is out now via McSweeney's. You can find him on his website at sqorio.com, sqorio.com, and he's on Twitter and Instagram at those same letters. Um, I just spelled it out to make it easier for you, S-Q-O-R-I-O. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're off. Awesome.